everyone welcome to another one of our podcast episodes i haven't quite figured out what i want to title this one yet uh i i think it'll probably end up being like aep 15 uh probably but i guess i haven't decided 100 percent yet although by the time you listen to this you obviously know what the episode is called uh the reason i don't know what to call it is i actually have on another guest for the first time in a long time and that is northern provisions um and the reason i don't know what to title it is because you know, me and Northern Provisions are going to do more podcasts down the line. So I don't know if I want to, you know, create a like a, a branch of a, a podcast or kind of keep along the same title. But whatever, whatever, I'll figure it out. Anyway, uh, Northern Provisions, a lot of you guys are probably wondering what exactly that is. You know, all of our podcasts are part of Northern Provisions LLC, right? It's a company, but it's... Uh, it's more more than that and i don't really know how all to describe it so i'll just read some things from the northern provisions website and hopefully that will kind of give you a better idea of what exactly it is so since 2018 northern provisions has donated over sixty-five thousand dollars uh in various ways to a lot of causes um cancer uh you know organizations um veteran organizations a, a ton of different stuff Northern Provisions focuses on up-to-date conflict-related news, fundraisers for various organizations, highlighting the stories and achievements of service members and providing service members with information they may find valuable to their mission orientation. Uh, Northern Provisions is a mission, nothing more, nothing less. So if you want to find Northern Provisions, they are on Instagram at Northern Provisions. That's all one word, no uh, periods or underscores or anything like that and i think you'll you'll have more an idea of who the man northern provisions is as you listen to this episode it's very informal um there is uh some foul language which to a lot of you probably won't mean anything but um just in case you like listen to this podcast in the car with your kid or something like that uh just be mindful of that i i already don't recommend that just due to the nature of my podcast, you know, we talk about uh, violent acts and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, whatever, just be mindful. Very, very informal. Um, talk a lot about Ukraine, but this has been a long time coming, but I think we both had a lot of fun. I, I definitely enjoyed having him on. It's uh, just about a two hour long conversation and I really hope you guys enjoy it. Please give me any feedback um, that you have and you know, give us ways to improve. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And yeah, with that being said, we'll hop into it. Really hope you guys enjoy. Analyze and educate. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Mr. Northern Provisions. Always, always happy to talk to you, man. This has been a long time coming for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's weird because like I've been shying away from from podcasts for the most part um the last one I on was the last one I was on was actually the first one I was ever on which was uh this Ronald Docs podcast um I didn't I even talk- know he has one yeah 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 check it out it's on uh I, I guess it's on like Apple podcast but um we talked about stuff I think it was like close to like a year and a half ago so there's a lot of COVID a lot of 2020 talk all okay. the good stuff he seems like he would be a cool guy. Uh yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. No, he's a good time, definitely. And um, as you know, another seventh Marines individual. 
So. Oh, he was seventh. He was, yeah, he was with uh, third battalion. Uh, three seven or three four. Three seven. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Was he was he in around the same time as us or no? Yes, he was. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. It's legit, man. It's a small world. It is. It's a lot smaller than than we think sometimes. Sometimes, like I, I hear about people, or you just get to know people more, and you're like, you know, we were probably in like the same country at the same time, and just didn't even know each other. Yeah, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize you were pretty much across the street from me. You know, we were there at the same time. I had no idea until yep. I started to talk to you on on Instagram and all that, and I didn't know that we had a mutual friend. You know, at least one mutual friend too. Yep. Um, I don't know. You probably know Mark Mara. He's a photographer. He was a yeah, guy too. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't know he was right across the street from me until talked to him on Instagram either. So it's a really small world. I know um, Reagan, Mission Essential Gear. I actually met him in person like years ago when we were in boot camp and didn't even realize who he was until he like brought it up one day, a, a long time after I started working with him. Damn. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty wild. It really is. It really is a small world. You never know like who you're going to run into or, I mean, just the amount of people that also timelines overlapping, um, like, you know, disgruntled being there from time A to time B, me being there time B to C, U, C to D, like whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you meet. Um, it's just interesting knowing like you kind of follow the same footprints at the end of the day. Yeah, it's really weird, man. I say since this is pretty informal for you guys listening, like we're just going to go off on tangents pretty much like this is not a scripted sort of thing. We're literally just talking about whatever. But when I went on deployment in 2016, I went to high school with this kid that I knew went into the army. Right. I talked to him a little bit after high school, you know, a couple of times here and there. I knew he was like army infantry and he was stationed in Georgia. And I knew he was going to Germany at some point. So we were getting ready to go to Kuwait and we we're at the airport in Savannah. And I saw like these army infantry dudes. And I was like, I thought to myself, you know, I'll, I'll just ask, I'll ask if he's here. Why not? Probably not, but I'll ask. And it's like, yeah, do you, do you know this guy? And he actually wasn't there at the time because he deployed with like a different group. But the guy I asked was his fucking platoon sergeant. That's funny. Just completely <laughs> randomly. Yeah. Is he still in? No, he's um he's a cop now. He's a cop around here where I live. I think he's probably like a county south of me or something like that. Okay. So for all you guys listening, what again, like I said, we're just going to talk about, you know, random stuff, see where the conversation takes us. But where we wanted to start off, of course, is Ukraine and uh firstly talk about winter. Winter is coming. Winter, I think the first official day in our hemisphere is on the 20th of December. But the snow has already arrived in eastern and western Ukraine. So the conditions are already set for, you know, what we're going to see probably until late February. Yeah. And I think um, <clears throat> if we kind of wind the clocks back a little bit to March, when the Russians were in their initial phase of that invasion, um, they were already kind of dealing with some logistical issues. So 
I know a lot of people like when you pull up Russia on a map, it's important to realize like how fucking big that country is and like what that means for logistically moving pieces in and out and people in and out. So when you're talking about springtime, granted snow's melting, ice is melting, you're starting to get mud and that can create problems too. The Russian military in itself was struggling with logistical issues before this. Um, cold wintertime adds another variable on top of that. Um, I don't know, watching this map, like seeing where they inserted and then seeing now where they're kind of like egressing and withdrawing out of areas. I'll be the first to say, I look at this, I haven't a fucking clue like what their overall strategic plan is um, in regards to taking and holding ground. Um, it, you know, it's just my personal belief that I think they're trying to create a buffer zone between them and what would be a NATO country. Um, but I don't know exactly if they're actually like really trying to understand the Russian mentality is kind of like trying to understand in a lot of ways, like the Chinese mentality, right? Like the Eastern military way of war is uh, just vastly different than the Western way. And you got to really study this stuff to really understand, like get in these people's heads and understand what they're doing. So part of me, you know, wants to say they've had a lot of setbacks, but part of me also wants to say, I don't want to count them down and out because I think people, I think military, you know, adversaries like Russia, and like China have what I would call something up their sleeve. Um, there's always some sort of like ulterior plan. Um, I could be full of shit, but that's just kind of my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, just, I guess going back, I I have no idea what what the fuck is going on either. You know what I mean? It, it A lot of these things really don't make any sense. Their, their goals aren't very clear. They very clearly want to at least take all the territory of the four regions that they annex. That's Donetsk, Luhansk, uh, Kherson, and Zaporizhia, right? They, they at the very least want to take the entirety of those four regions. They're very far off from doing that though, you know, especially mm -hmm. considering they've lost a little mm -hmm. bit of Luhansk in the past couple months. And then of course they lost Western Kherson. That's a, that's a big, a big thing, right? A big setback. I think their goals seem very fluid, right? And I, and I think that ties a lot into what's going on logistically. Like you were talking about, their logistics are kind of a shit show, honestly. Um, first of all, they're at a disadvantage because they're the attacking force, right? So that automatically puts you at a logistics disadvantage, right? And of course, we saw a lot of troubles I mean, really from the start of the war and they didn't make things easier on themselves because, you know, they were launching the invasion from multiple points, you know, from Russia and from Belarus as well, a completely different country. Um, so they just, they didn't make their logistics easy on themselves and things kind of got worse from there. There just wasn't a lot of clarity on how they would defend their convoys, um, how they would ship things from Russia to 
territories they held in southern Ukraine, you know, there was a lot of talk about them building this land bridge or not building, but taking a land bridge from eastern Ukraine, you know, in the Donbass um, all the way down to Kherson, you know what I mean? And that way they wouldn't have to go all the way from like eastern Russia through Crimea and then up from there. However, they, they still had to do that. They still had to go from Russia to Crimea because the land bridge that they took didn't really do much for them logistically because there's no two-way rail lines that basically go from those areas near the border with Russia and eastern Ukraine all the way to southern Ukraine. So they had to <clears throat> utilize Crimea a lot, right? And that also plays into what we saw with the Kerch Bridge the, the Crimea bridge, you know, last month or whatever month it was when that got hit pretty hard. Right. But um, no, it's even taking all those things into account, I, I wouldn't count them out either. Um, I mean, they do, they do have a lot of people. They do have a lot of equipment left, you know, despite all the losses that they have had, which have been many, um, I wouldn't count them out. Winter may give them a break. There's a lot of talk about, you know, who winter favors. And me and you were talking about that a couple minutes ago before we started recording. But as far as that goes, I think it kind of depends on what region you're talking about. Um, it may favor them in southern Ukraine, you know, because Ukraine or yeah, Ukraine is on the offensive in southern Ukraine. Right. So the Russians are defending in that respect. Um, but in the east, particularly in Bakhmut, the Russians are attacking. So winter might favor Ukraine because, you know, they have the defensive advantage. They're building up their fortifications and Russia has to figure out their logistics again. Yeah, I don't think I really don't think we're going to see a lot of movement in winter um, on either side. I think both sides are probably going to be pretty, pretty well dug in. Um, I think you can kind of see both tactically and strategically, like where Russia is hitting, talking about specifically infrastructure. So I think they're going to dig in to kind of where we are, which I, honestly pulling out of um, Kherson was probably the best thing they could do because of winter, because now they're able to like solidify themselves more on the other side of the river. Um, and I think what they're, what they're doing right now is what kind of everyone knows, which is just, striking as much infrastructure as you can to try to bleed these people out um which is you know like we would do the same thing obviously infrastructure is one of the first things you go for to cripple a country but i'm not sure how effective that is going to be in the long run only because despite you know them controlling the black sea they're getting all those resources and supplies from, you know, neighboring uh, allied countries. I'm sorry, Ukraine is not Russia. So I don't, you know, they can hit as much infrastructure as they can in Ukraine. And these people may be in the dark for a bit, but I'm just not seeing where that's going to really be a heavy blow to them the way they think it is. Um, something that I am kind of curious about, though is the lack of and i wish we had like maybe uh someone from like the air wing side of the house here too to kind of explain this because 
I would be interested to know why we haven't seen a lot of fixed wing um, aircraft used or especially like long range bombers. Um, the Russian military has plenty of these, but maybe it's more just about like fuel range and where they can fly them out of. Um, that's creating the problem, but I feel like we really, other than the opening days of the war, I feel like we really have not seen those assets be used. And that kind of makes me wonder if they're saving those, if the Russians really are in the long run, um, sorry, the long game, and they're just going to try to wear down Ukrainians, uh, Ukraine's military until they have to use those kinds of assets. Because something else to consider, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but something else to consider is, you know, it's not just weighing down Ukraine, it's also weighing down the West. So we can keep, everyone can keep pumping equipment, you know, vehicles, guns, everything else into Ukraine itself. But with that going in, it's being used, it's being destroyed, uh, it needs to be replaced. There are things going on that like that needs to continue. So Western countries are going to have to ask themselves, like, how long are we going to do this? Because if this turns into a war of attrition, which one of us is going to hold out longest? Yeah, I think that's that's really what Russia is banking on is they can outlast the West. Right. That's that's really and that's what they're hoping for with winter. Right. It's it's going to be a cold winter. They're hoping that Western Europe doesn't have as much. You know, natural gas stockpiles as they say they do. Um, and yeah, they're hoping that they could basically. Have Western Europe freeze out and then start slowing down their support from Ukraine. And they're also hoping for that same thing as far as providing Ukraine with military equipment goes. Obviously, really all of NATO has provided Ukraine with a lot, and even some countries that aren't NATO countries, right? And the pace at which that equipment has been provided has been very fast. You know, this invasion's only been going on for nine months, and Ukraine has received a lot of equipment and a lot of money in those past nine months. Um, yeah. And that pace cannot continue, at least at least not for the United States. No. I, I guess I can't speak for other Western European countries. However, um, they obviously produce arms at a slower rate than the United States does, or if they even do produce arms. Of course, they have a lot of American arms too. Um, but the United States does not produce arms at a quick enough rate, really because we spent the past 20 years fighting counterinsurgencies, right? Yeah. So you see now that people are begging, including Ukraine, the United States, to ramp up their production of arms, artillery, ammunition, HIMARS, um, you know, even transport vehicles, you know, like Humvees and, and MRAPs and stuff like that. And that will take some time. That's not something you could do overnight if we even can do it. Right. Because there's a lot of implications economically for us as far as that goes. And, you know, you got to think about the labor force and all that. Um, so. My, my point in saying that is we cannot continue to supply Ukraine at the rate which we have been in the past nine months, even even if we wanted to. It's physically impossible. We can't. Yeah, we're already buying, uh, we've already bought, excuse me, we've already begun buying artillery rounds from South Korea. Exactly. Um, 
other munitions from different countries because we're running out. <clears throat> so that's an issue because we can't allow ourselves to, we can't allow our capabilities to dwindle to the point where it may be detrimental to us. Um, especially if we look at it and go, I don't see, you know, let's say, let's say whoever in the Pentagon looks at this map and goes, I don't see this being a victory for Ukraine. So, you know, we're going to have to cut it off. And I don't think, I don't think whether, even if like, I don't, I truthfully don't think Russia will win in the, in the end. Um, but I don't think it's also going to be a complete victory for Kiev either. So I know this is probably going to piss a lot of people off, but I think, and again, this is just like, a, you know, fly the fucking wall opinion, but I think what we're going to end up seeing is pretty much a continuation of what's already been going on since 2014, just on a larger scale. Um, or a North-South Korea-style situation where you start setting up like a demilitarized zone and Russia says, well, you know, this area that I've taken, I'll pull my military out of, but it's not going back to you. Um, but the interesting thing is, you know, when we're sitting here talking about arms and how we're running out of our stockpiles and we can't keep this up, it was Western leaders, especially people like Boris Johnson, um, President Joe Biden, who really kind of talked to President Zelensky about not going to the negotiation table. So it's a little confusing, at least from my perspective, that they would push Zelensky away from the negotiating table because we're going to back them militarily, knowing that we're not going to be able to back them for so long. Um, I'm not sure... I don't, I don't know. I just think that's kind of, you know, so we sit here talking about how we're trying to figure out what Russia's doing, but sometimes I look at my own country, I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what we're doing. You know, I think this is a proxy war, and I think we're, the United States at least is using Ukraine to, to diminish and dwindle Russia's military capabilities, but I don't know if you know, the strategist really thought out, like, can the Ukraine military operate without full-blown NATO Western military aid continuously coming in? What happens if we turn that valve off? I have no idea. Yeah, no, those are all good points. And I just want to bring up real quick that the same people that are leading our defense and foreign policy establishments are the same people that failed us in Afghanistan, there are a lot of mm. the same people actually yeah. that failed us in the 20 years of Afghanistan leading up to the withdrawal. There's a lot of the same people that failed us in Iraq, um, you know, and elsewhere. There's not a lot of turnover in these establishments, even at the highest levels. You know, you, have, you see a lot of people at the cabinet levels right now who served in prior presidential administrations in, mm -hmm. you know, subordinate, but albeit high levels as well. Um, so we don't have a lot of turnover in leadership. And it, it doesn't seem, in my personal opinion, that we have a, a whole lot of competent leadership as well. You know, and you were talking about basically, you know, what the hell are we doing here? Um, what, what, does winning, what does winning look like? 
is Ukraine going to be able to take back all of its territory, including Crimea? Not anytime soon. Um, you know, who's to say what could happen years from now? I'm not an expert and, you know, war could change practically overnight. Um, but I, I just do not see that happening for, for a long time, right? And can Russia take all of Ukraine, including the capital? No, no, yeah. not any, not anytime soon. Many things, many things would have to change, uh, I think, in both Russia and Ukraine in order for that to happen. And that would take years as well and perfect conditions and that that will not happen. So what does winning look like? Right. Who knows? Do the people running our foreign policy and defense establishments even know what winning looks like? Right. I don't know. Yeah. You were you were talking about how it basically looks like we are using Ukraine. I mean, this is a proxy war, right? You said that, and it, it quite clearly is to anybody that is observing this war. It is a proxy war, um, more than more than any proxy war has been in the past. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. um, it is the opinion of many including you and including myself, that there are some people in our government that are viewing Ukraine as kind of a sacrifice to diminish Russia's military capability. I don't know if that's specifically how President Biden sees it. I don't know if that's specifically how Antony Blinken sees it or... Um, the Secretary of Defense. I don't. I don't know why his name escapes me right now. Lloyd Austin. Yes, Lloyd Austin. Thank you. Um, I, I don't know if that's specifically how they see it in their minds. However, there is a fair amount of people in our government, at whatever levels, that do see it, and, and also in our society. Right, a lot of loud voices on social media, particularly Twitter, a lot of blue checks that that do see it that way. You know, they're behind Ukraine all the way because they think it is good to diminish Russia's military capability. Now, you could have a conversation, a completely separate conversation on whether that is a, uh, you know, good train of thought or not. But the reality of the matter is that that's how a lot of people see this conflict. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'll just say this like out in the open, because I know some of the things we're going to talk about and maybe some of the things I say. People are going to maybe, because like everything else in this year, uh, some people get very emotional when they hear something that they don't really take time to understand. It, on, a, on a personal, you know, no bullshit level, do I want Ukraine to be a sovereign nation? Do I want the Ukrainian people to be victorious in their fight against a country that's invading them? Yes, I do. Like, I... I I hope they come out on top, 100%. Um, I wouldn't have gone there personally if I felt otherwise. But at the same time, we have, like, we have to look at everything objectively, number one. And number two, I'm trying to look at it from the standpoint of an American. I'm an American. I'm not a Ukrainian. I'm not a Russian. So I need to understand why my country is doing the things they're doing and why my government is doing the things they're doing, especially when it comes to my tax dollars or potentially 
you know, American lives. And so you mentioned it, these same people, that's the revolving door of Washington, D.C., you know. Um, the Secretary of Defense is the perfect example of that. Prior military, into private defense, into public policy for the United States military. So literally a triangle. He just goes from one to the other to the other. And they influence and all benefit each other. And again, although I believe in a Ukraine that's sovereign and, and you know, a future decided by the Ukrainian people, I also, as an American, have to objectively look at the fact that our government, through multiple administrations, has in some ways instigated this war. Um, I'm not saying we are 100% responsible for it, because at the end of the day, you know, Russian line troops did cross that border. But it doesn't mean that we didn't partake or participate and possibly instigate this into something it didn't need to become. And a lot of that boils down to NATO expansion. Um, a lot of that boils down to, you know, colored revolutions around the world. A lot of that boils down to foreign policy that's in writing. That's the thing. Like, a, a lot of this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not uh, YouTube history. This is, like, documented history of what appointed and elected officials have said they wanted to do and wanted to accomplish in the region for decades. Uh, you know, there's there's a reason why we've done the things we've done. Back to 2014, there's a reason why Victoria Newland is on the phone call with, I believe, the ambassador um, of the U.S. to Ukraine, pretty much going down about who they're going to bring into power. Um, it's It's not... It's frustrating, you know, because like you look at this war and um, I think people should just try to find a balance. Right. So you can look at it and say it may be fucked up with what Russia's doing. But what did we do and on our part to push us to where it is? You don't have to be completely against Ukraine. Like I see a lot of people and you don't have to be completely for this war. Like I see a lot of people like it doesn't seem to be like a middle ground of like, how can we look, look at this objectively and not make these decisions in the future? Because what we're seeing is essentially Ukraine be used. So if anything, people like you and I are more for the Ukrainian people than people who are supporting the war, because I don't want unnecessary deaths made through poor policy decisions. Um this doesn't necessarily need to happen. And I would I would also hazard Americans to kind of vibe check themselves and truthfully look, look themselves in the mirror and say, what would we do if the situation was the same but reversed? So uh, I think I said this either to you or like to the, to the uh, Lethal Minds uh, journal chat. By the way, shout out to Lethal Minds. But, you know, sh should the situation be reversed? Right. And a and an anti-American pro-Russian military alliance was working its way up through South America, Central America, all the way to Mexico after they said they wouldn't, by the way, all the way to all the way to Mexico. And we have a pro-American Mexican government with. American nationals, ethnic Americans, whatever you want to call them, in the northern part of the border area. Right. And then a revolution happens which is just so happens to be backed 
ideologically and financially by Russia, which then puts in an anti-American government, which wants to join the Russian military alliance. And now you have Russian troops in the country training Mexican soldiers. I mean, I, I would just like challenge every American to say, what do you genuinely think is going to happen to Mexico? And I can truthfully say with confidence, I think the exact same fucking thing would happen because the same thing has happened, right? Look at Bay of Pigs, look at Panama, look at Grenada. Um, the second we saw Soviet influence, the second we saw Soviet expansion in our, in our hemisphere, it was game time. Time to time for regime change. Get these guys out. And again, not saying what Russia's doing is right. It's just, it's more just like, look at the actions of your country and see where you may be negatively influencing people in the long run. And I also don't want these people to be used as a sacrifice on the altar for the greater good of American foreign policy. Yeah, I mean, going back to that that question that you asked us in the in the Lethal Minds chat the other day, um, I mean, my my answer was that we would organize a coup in Mexico, and if that didn't work, we would find some justification for invading within the year. I mean, yeah. we, without a doubt in my mind. And you kind of quickly referenced uh, Bay of Pigs, you know, in Cuba. I would implore you guys to research Operation Northwoods. You can do it just through a Google search. Um, quick summary, our government, the chiefs of staff of the Department of Defense were planning on conducting these false flag attacks against civilian and military targets here in the United States and blaming them on Cuba so we could invade. And I believe that was after uh, the Bay of Pigs failed, right? So they're very much interested in still going after Fidel Castro and, um, you know, ridding Cuba of communism through force. So again, I would implore you guys to research that. And also, you know, we're talking about NATO expansion, you know, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s and kind of how that's, goes with you know what what we've seen in Ukraine since 2014 uh sorry I'm gonna I'm gonna simp Jocko real quick Jocko does a pretty good podcast with this guy called Daryl Cooper um I think oh, they yeah. got like the the unraveling yeah. podcast you've heard that one yeah dude I it's I love Daryl Cooper man like he kills it him and his personal podcast too Martyr Made oh my god I cannot recommend them enough yeah he's fantastic I actually I just listened to um the like prologue of the series he's doing on like labor in America like the labor wars very good very good if you haven't heard that but he did this podcast with Jocko I think probably a, a month or so before the invasion actually happened and they talked a lot about basically NATO's relationship with Russia as the Soviet Union was collapsing. And then, you know, a few years after that collapse, and then they jumped a little bit to when, you know, Putin takes over the presidency and 
their relationship with Putin and NATO expansion as well. Very great podcast. Um, I would definitely suggest you guys check that out. Again, it's called the Jocko Unraveling. But um, I mean, yeah, Russia, Russia really did react predictably. And I, that's not me justifying their actions at all. At the end of the day, they invaded Ukraine. Like there's, you can't justify that. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a very like immoral thing that they're doing. Obviously they're committing horrible war crimes. Um, and I mean, just in the simplest sense, what they're doing is not right. However, they did react predictably. If you understand even a little bit about Russian history, which of course I'm not an expert at all, but Russia historically has been very, very paranoid as far as their borders go. They, they've yeah. always, always been on the defensive. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's how they've always been incredibly paranoid. That's why you saw them invade Georgia in 2008 during the Beijing Olympics, right? That's why you've seen plenty of military actions in their uh, sphere of influence, I guess you could say. Yeah. And those, I mean, just in the past hundred years, you know, that, that whole area, Poland, Ukraine, Russia, like those borders, there's been a lot that it's not just been, you know, we talk about how the Middle East has been at war for like hundreds of years. It, sometimes there's parts of Europe that are no different, you know, um, that have been at war for a very long time. And, uh, that's what happens when lines get drawn, erased, redrawn, erased, redrawn. And some of this is just either history in the making or history repeating itself. Yeah, the borders of Eastern Europe, especially, and I guess Central Europe, too, are have been very fluid, you know, even within the lifetimes of our grandparents or great grandparents. You know what I mean? Um, Crimea, for example, Crimea was historically part of Ukraine, but then there's a lot of that going on. Like there's a lot of changing hands because I think the Ottoman Empire controlled it, you know, at some point in the 1800s. So there's a lot of changing hands going on. And then when the Russian Empire conquers that area of Ukraine, then of course they take it over. And then you have the Soviet Union. And then I think in the 60s, the Soviet Union kind of gifts. Crimea back to Ukraine, even though they're all still a part of the Soviet Union. It's like this nice little gesture, you know what I mean? But my point in saying that is that these borders have been very fluid, um, you know, through recent decades. And they and they will change in the future. Like these borders yeah. will not be set in stone until the end of time, especially, you know, even besides what we're seeing in Ukraine, you know, how are the borders going to change when this war is over? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, sort of related, but somewhat unrelated to what you want to go into the Nord Stream pipeline. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would love to. I just um, I think that's something we should talk about. And uh, the reason why, other than the significance of it, is because it is it is just dropped off the radar. Um, which I kind of guessed, and uh, I'm just going to say my theory, and I'm going to go out there and say I don't have 
you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not an intelligence asset that, that can say this with 100% certainty. But based on a few variables here, my personal belief is that I think the United States probably had, I would say I lean more towards, like trying to word this carefully, I would say that I personally believe there's more of a chance that the United States is responsible for it than the Russian Federation is. Um, when you when you look at it, right, and especially where you look where it was hit. So the, the problem problem number one, everyone says Russia did it because they're trying to deny Europe uh, gas. Okay, the problem with that is that it's a Russian pipeline. So they already turned the gas off earlier this year. And they did that out of spite for the majority of Europe back in Ukraine. Second, Russia benefits from that pipeline. Um, they actually wanted it open as late as, I believe it was, on, let me look. Let me confirm before someone fucking tries to vibe check me on this. But I believe it was like late September. A um, couple weeks, or I'm sorry, maybe mid-September, a couple weeks before the actual explosion where they had asked Germany again, you know, do you want to reopen this? And the reason why is because Russia gets money from it. So they wouldn't need to blow it up in order to turn it off. And they also don't benefit anything from it by blowing it up. The second problem is that people say, well, they did it because they wanted to blame NATO for it. Um, okay, then why would it not be done closer to Russian territory? Because where you, where you look where it's hit, it's like in NATO's backyard. So they know like back pond. Um, if they wanted to make it look like an attack, against them and their infrastructure, why would they not do that earlier? And closer to where it would actually make sense to, to stage something like that. And the third issue is that the president of the United States also said at the beginning of the year that he would make sure the Nord Stream project didn't happen if Russian troops crossed that border. And the reporter even asked him, if with with you being the American president and this being a Russian and German project, how are you going to do that? And his response was, we're just going to make sure it doesn't happen. Now, I'm not saying that's a guarantee that, that that's him saying we're going to blow it up. I'm just saying. I'm not seeing how Russia would benefit from this in any way, shape or form. But I am seeing how the United States would benefit from this because now American gas companies can start pushing gas to Europe, as well as not too long ago, there was another pipeline uh, or gas project that just got confirmed, I believe, for Poland, bringing, I think, gas, I think it was gas from Denmark to Poland. I might, uh, someone may have to correct me on that, but you're seeing, like, I, I just don't, I'm not seeing. The, the benefits for Russia in striking their own pipeline, but I definitely am seeing the benefits for the United States of America. And I told someone like the fucking day it happened, I said, if, 
if this drops off the news, I would say the reason why is likely because we had an involvement. Because if if Russia did it and they found cr- like critical evidence to prove that, that would be all over the fucking news. It would be all over the news. They'd be bringing them into international court. But we don't see that, do we? And what we see is like a complete drop off and a lack of care. The only, the only update they have literally since this happened was, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and um, a satellite company, oh man, not Maxar, but another one, like a satellite company came out and, was, and talked about how they saw uh, two ships in the area during the time, but it was like very vague information. Uh, it didn't, it didn't prove anything. Just, you know, there's two unknown vessels in the area. Um, I don't know. That's just, that's, I'm leaning towards us. I'm not saying it wasn't Russia, but I'm just not seeing how that would be beneficial to them at all. So <laughs> I know I may rile some jimmies, but, uh, what what's uh what's the take of analyze and educate yeah i mean one thing people kind of have to realize and i i don't feel like this gets talked about enough is that area of the world particularly in the past year like there's so much surveillance in that area it's it's literally the northern and the eastern flank of nato and i mean that's also the western flank of russia right there's been a lot of surveillance in that area, particularly when Russia started sending amphibious assault ships from the Baltic fleet all the way around Europe through the Mediterranean and the Black Sea so they could get to Ukraine. So people have been watching that area for, you know, a year at this point, if not longer. Right. I mean, that's, you know, OSINT observers, if you want to call them that, civilians and, and governments watching that area. And it's, I, I don't know, I'm very, very skeptical, I guess, that basically the Russian Navy could have gone all that way and, and blown up that pipeline, you know, just past all that NATO surveillance. Um, and especially get that close to, I think it was Poland which is the nearest country to where that pipe, that part of the pipeline was, you know, blown up. Like you said, why, why wouldn't they have done it near Russia? And they want to, they want to blame NATO for it. Like, it was, it was either Poland or Germany, right. But it was nowhere near Russia. No, not at all. Yeah. So um, here, I'll pull it up right now, actually. So you can, yeah, it's actually, it's literally right off the fucking shore of a, um, I believe this is a Danish island. Okay. Um, the Danish or Swedish island, I believe. But yeah, it's very close. It, you're right. It is close. It is offshore from Poland, uh, but it's really in this kind of like triangle area between Poland, Germany, and uh, Sweden. So 100% it's nowhere near Russia. And 100% what you said. This area is under extreme surveillance nato is at a historic security state like in terms of monitoring the situation because of this war so another another contradiction that just doesn't make any sense 
is you have Western officials and media outlets borderline mocking Russia for what they call, you know, uh, combat negligence and incompetence. You know, look, the Russian military is so weak. They're getting slaughtered by the Ukrainians. They can't take any ground. They can't do anything. But then in the same breath, they go, you know, they can't do anything. They can't accomplish or complete any of their objectives in Ukraine. However, they are capable of conducting an undetected uh, attack on infrastructure in NATO's backwater. Like, you can't be two things at the same fucking time. You either you, you either have an incompetent military or you have a capable military. And I'm just like, I'm looking at the points right now. And just like you said, right off the shore of Poland, right off the shore of Germany and Sweden. Um, and I think Bornholm is technically a Danish island. I could be wrong about that. But it's just not like... I'm not seeing how peak NATO, NATO security, you're going to be able to pull this off undetected in the world of surveillance between you and I talked, I think, actually, and there were like American aircraft in the fucking area uh, the night before night of, as well as ISR platforms. So I, I don't know. My bad if I cut you off, dude, but uh, no, you're good. Like, I mean, there's. You know, like we were talking about, there's plenty of ISR platforms, you know, up in the air. And, and I'm sure on the ground level, scanning, scanning the waters, right? And that's normal. And again, that's normal because they've been heavily surveilling that area for the past year or so because of what's going on right now, because of the Russian military buildup, because of the invasion, right? That's why it's normal. So again, I mean, the fact that the Russian Navy could get past all these surveillance platforms and blow up this pipeline, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a weird thought to me. I'm not saying it's impossible, of course, but it, it's an odd thought to me. And you got to go back to the conversation. What does Russia, what could they gain from that? I don't know. Oh, they could, they could blame it on NATO. Well, yeah, sure. I guess they could, but I mean, do they really have to do that? You have Russian soldiers for the past nine months legitimately already thinking they're at war with NATO. Right. Right. They think that NATO troops are being embedded with Ukrainian units. All these foreign volunteers, they legitimately think these guys are coming from NATO militaries. Right. They're not volunteers. So they, yeah. don't, they don't have to blame anything on NATO more than they already do. Right. What could the U.S. gain from this? Right. Well. The U.S. wants to keep Europe in the fight, right? They want to keep Europe supplying Ukraine with weapons, helping them financially, right? Because, again, this, this is a proxy war. Whether you like to hear that or not, it is. Look up any other proxy war, compare the two, and tell me this isn't a proxy war. You can't do that with a straight face, right? right. Not saying that's a good or bad thing, right? We could have that argument, but that's just a reality of, of the fact or the matter. You know what I mean? And... We want to keep Europe in the fight, particularly Germany. Germany out of the rest of NATO has been one of the more hesitant, if not maybe even the most hesitant country to, you know, just outright supply Ukraine with arms, especially offensive arms, 
right? I mean, it's already like pulling teeth trying to get Germany to supply Ukraine with air defense systems, right? Anti-air guns, um, SAM systems, those sort of things. It's a whole different conversation trying to get Germany to supply Ukraine with offensive weapons. Germany has been incredibly hesitant these past nine months, and that is because they get a lot of their energy from Russia. Maybe not the best decision, but oh well, that's how it is now. And I think the United States basically wanted to take the option away from Germany where you have a situation in which Germany is becoming more hesitant during the winter and maybe they're starting to cozy up with Russia a little bit more in terms of securing energy for themselves. You need yep. energy, right? And like that that's just a fact. You need you need energy particularly in the winter. You don't want your people to freeze. Um so I think that it's it's possible the United States wanted to basically take that option away from Germany. And if they could blame blowing up the pipeline on Russia, then that's, you know, it's a plus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to be honest with you, it's a little concerning. Um, uh, there's, there's two things really concerning about this war. And the first one is like how much people really buy propaganda um what i saw like in the in the opening days of the war was a lot of people buying more russian-based propaganda uh and even still you know uh ukraine's full of nazis and this is uh for the you know globalist cabal for soros and all that stuff and so they really like don't support ukraine in any way shape or form and then you have other people who are undoubtedly going to hear us talking about how we personally think the United States may have been responsible for this. And they're going to do the complete opposite, which is be like, absolutely not. I can't believe you would even think that. This is definitely Russia. Uh, you've been, you know, drinking communist water if you think we did it and all this other crazy stuff. And that's kind of concerning because. This is, if we did do it, it's nothing new. Um, just look at American military history, and you'll see plenty of clandestine operations against private, public, state-owned resource infrastructure to get what we want. It's not a, it's not a fucking mystery here. Um, like you said, we want, we have been, the United States has been pushing more for this war to go on than Ukraine itself has. And if that isn't like a flag in itself, then I don't know what is. Um, it, like this is how this is how we number one make our money and number two, how we expand our influence. And we want this to go on. And like you said, by denying Germany that cutoff point, Right, and forcing them into a position by denying Europe that cutoff point, forcing them into a position, we won't, we not only benefit from it for our companies, both gas and weapons, because that is our number one export, 
um, we keep this, we keep this going on further. So it's almost like a racing negotiating variables and getting rid of any factor that could get in the way of any sort of stalemate or peace talks, which I just think it's kind of funny when you see people who proclaim to be anti-war or support people who are anti-war. Um, but then they support policies like this that, for lack of better terms, kind of perpetuate war. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple things. You know, first, going back to propaganda, there is obviously so much in this war, and there's propaganda in all wars, right? And, and all sides in all wars engage in propaganda throughout history. That's how it's always been. That's how it will always be. You know, we... The United States is engaged in propaganda, you know, all the time throughout our history. It happens. That's that's just how things go. Um, man, and you have and you have a lot of people falling for, I mean, some ridiculous propaganda on both sides. You know, if you if you talk about propaganda from the Ukrainian side, they'll talk about, you know, how they destroyed hundreds, you know, hundreds of helicopters, hundreds of jets. Um, yeah they've quote unquote liquidated, you know, 75,000 Russian soldiers, meaning they've killed them all. Uh, yeah. It's like, what, what are you talking, what, what are you talking about? You know, and people will take that to heart. And if you question that there are people that will, you know, basically try and crucify you. If you, uh, if you dare question those numbers, however, on the, on the other side, you got people that, think ukraine is legitimately a nazi state you know all all because of the azov regiment which yeah. no doubt ukraine has had its its issues with uh like ultra nationalistic and like fascist you know like malicious and political parties and i want to like choose my language very carefully you know like oh far right or right wing no like these guys are like actual actual like fascists and neo-nazis in some cases right take the yeah. azov regiment again however you got to think about the fact that ukraine has a jewish president right right you know what right. i mean if you want if you understand anything about the history of anti-semitism especially in the former russian empire like right. that is that's that's a big deal for an Eastern European country, especially for Ukraine or especially Ukraine to have a Jewish president. You know what I mean? You can't you can't really turn around and call it a Nazi state. And no, keep, them, keep some uh, legitimacy. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and considering, you know, part of part of the Holocaust, like. There are victims from Ukraine that are engaged in the Holocaust. You know, like you said, you have a Jewish president. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a Nazi state. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we, we can kind of go back to the very beginning and talk about winter a little bit. I mean, I, I know we already did um, a tiny bit, but I guess we could touch on that more. And real quick, you guys. Uh, we talked about Lethal lethal Minds, the Lethal Minds Journal a little bit ago. Again, check that out. The bulletin from the Borderlands is uh, great. I mean, I do write for it, so I am biased. But, you know, it's like a foreign policy and news uh, sort of deal that comes out 
twice a month and there's one coming out in two two days from now or maybe one day from now i can't remember but anyway i wrote about ukraine and basically what we're what we're going to see in the winter and all that sort of stuff and i think touching on winter there's a lot of misconceptions um i did see this pretty good twitter thread the other day i I can't remember who wrote it but it was basically talking about misconceptions in winter and one of the big ones was how tanks are going to play into things a lot of people think like oh tanks tanks won't be able to be used in the winter right they're they're going to get stuck in the snow or they're going to get stuck in the mud and they're pretty much useless and that's that's not really true. The big issue with tanks is the logistics train behind them is, yeah. is going to be in trouble, right? The tanks are going to get through the snow and the mud in a good amount of cases, fine. What you're going to have issues with is supply trucks behind them that are carrying fuel for the tanks, carrying mechanics, carrying food and water for you know the unit. All those supply personnel, they're the ones that are going to have issues in that terrain. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, especially, um, I don't know, especially, I think when you, I think what we're going to see is like maybe, I may not be in the winter, but maybe in the spring, maybe some ramp up of attacks on Crimea. Um, as Ukraine tries to like really cut off that logistical and the reason I'm thinking this is because it would be a good time to hit that it hit Crimea in the winter now um, to really slow down like the logistical train from Crimea to southern Ukraine as well as other parts of eastern going into south that way you kind of start isolating people and um, and already strained Russian military now has to deal with more logistical issues. I think uh, the reports, and this kind of goes, ties in a little bit to propaganda, like it's hard to tell what is true and what isn't, but um, the reports we're seeing about Russian morale, I think is very interesting because that morale that I think was Fair to say, pretty low already. Um, prior to winter, I think is going to fucking plummet, and especially if Ukraine can start whacking some 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 of those like logistical routes, uh, especially hitting Crimea a little more. I think you're going to see that shit plummet, and that, as anybody knows, when morale starts going down on the line, performance starts going down, and. We'll see. We'll see how winter fares for everybody. Yeah, I mean their their morale can't be good. You know they have suffered many setbacks in recent months, right? And that that already diminishes morale a decent bit. But you have all these mobilized quote unquote personnel, hundreds of thousands of them that are being sent to the front. A lot of them are being sent without winter clothing, right? That is a huge issue that you think they would have figured out at this point, but I guess not. These guys don't have winter clothing. They don't have a lot of ammunition. They don't have a lot of training, if any. Um, And I mean, these guys were 
plucked from their lives, you know, wives, kids, or, you know, good careers or, you know, school or whatever, and thrown into a war zone. And that happens all the time throughout history with people that are drafted throughout war, you know, of course it happened with America, think Vietnam, think World War II, right? Plenty of guys drafted all throughout our history. Um, but it's, it's a fact that that's, the morale of those guys is, is not going to be great right off the bat. And it's up to leadership, how they handle it from there. And I don't think Russian leadership has handled that issue particularly well. And it, and it's difficult for them to, when they're not getting victories on the battlefield, which they are not, they're suffering defeat after defeat. Yeah, you really have to wonder, like, I would pay good money to be in the mind of your average Russian line grunt right now. Um, I don't think, like, I definitely don't think the casualties are as high as, you know, Kiev Independent reports it as, like like you said, like 75,000 dead. But I, I do think it's drastically higher than what the United States saw in 20 years of counterinsurgency in the Middle East in a very short amount of time. And really not much achieved um i think like even when we're, when we're talking about like being lied to by leadership and everything else reading some of these reports about what captured vdv paratroopers were saying um how when they geared up they thought they were going on an exercise and then found out mid-flight you know their officers told them hey this is not an exercise we're actually we're pushing to you know hostile uh, we're pushing the key. We're pushing all these places. That's really fucking wild. And when you, I don't know if that also happened, you know, I'm sure it happened similarly to some Russian units in the East, but that's got to be a, a heavy hitter for morale when you consider like if you've just blatantly been lied to and you push into a country and you start taking contact and you start losing this kind of ground and you've lost i forget what unit it was i think it was a unit near i think it was in i think it was in dumbass somewhere maybe like maybe near kharkiv but this like russian line you just got like 90 90 rate you know that's that's insane. Um, what what is the morale of those dudes? Like, are they just? Eventually, this is going to be a, a snapping point, and I wonder if we're not going to see. We've we've already seen isolated events of, you know, Russia's. Uh, I'm sorry, Russians torching, recruiting offices. There is the one confirmed incident of the guy going into the recruitment center and like shooting the recruiting officer. Um, there's been a few other things, and I, I wonder if this is not going to, we're not going to see more of that ramping up and more like domestic terrorism in Russia because of people either like soldiers coming back, if they are, if they are coming back, or people that are getting drafted, you know, people that have like friends they're talking to that are on the line. I wonder if we're not going to see more of this ramp up to try and like stop this from continuing. Yeah. I mean, to, to zoom out a little bit and to put it in the simplest, best terms I can, this invasion has been such a shit show 
like in in all aspects from the Russian side. Um, and they've taken a lot of casualties. I, I don't I don't know how many, probably not as much as Ukraine is saying, but they have taken a lot. You know, they've they've even admitted to a lot. Um, and of course, they're not admitting everything. So. Right. And, and again, it goes back to morale. I mean, morale can just not, it cannot be good right now. A lot of these Russian contract soldiers, right, who some of whom didn't even know they were invading Ukraine until they were in the air, they've lost a lot of their friends, a lot of their officers, a lot of their mentors for very little gain, you know? And they've gotten very like very little breaks i was talking to crow Tolan, i don't know two three days ago he did a live and i was on there and we were talking about how these guys have basically just really been in the shit for like the past nine months man i mean it's yeah. it's not like it's not like this is the western front world war ii where you know you drop in france and you spend a few months there and maybe you'll go back to england for like a month or so and then you'll go back to france like no these guys have been in it for nine months straight and even when they do get a break quote unquote off the front line they're still under constant threat of getting a high mars rocket dropped on their forehead or maybe a totska missile like there's there's no room for them to rest and relax or just even process what they've been going through for this past nine months and that yeah. that can't be good on morale in itself no no absolutely not and you all, you also made a good point mentioning um you know ukraine not being truthful about everything as well and some of that is i mean <laughs> the missile strike in poland man they haven't even admitted responsibility for that granted Okay, people would understand it under the circumstances, right? If a surface-to-air defense missile really did go stray and land there, that's no problem. But they're sticking to the story that it was a Russian missile. And that's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that, like, we have and the pictures, there's even pictures of it that match Ukrainian uh, air defenses. It's interesting that they still, um, unless something's like come up that I didn't see. They still haven't taken responsibility for it. And they're still sticking with the story that it was a Russian missile. And that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And I think it should show a little bit of their character, a little bit of the character of the Ukrainian government. And I did, I did want to go back to this thing, these missiles that hit Poland a couple weeks ago, because you touched on that a little bit. And I mean, there are still people that don't believe the facts as, as they are, as they've come out ever since that incident happened. So yeah. Yeah, for, for those of you guys who somehow don't know what we're talking about, a couple weeks ago, Russia launches pretty big missile and suicide drone attack like all over Ukraine. Um, I mean, they fired probably like 100 
munitions or something like that. And obviously Ukrainian air defense is like very active throughout this whole thing, right? They want to shoot down these missiles and drones. And there were a couple missiles that hit inside this Polish village that is near the border. And of course, a lot of people just immediately jumped to the conclusion that these missiles were Russian. The missiles also killed two people in this village, right? So it's kind of a big deal. Um, and, you know, there were voices that were kind of trying to caution people to just wait for the facts to come out. And, you know, later on, it, it did come out like, hey, uh, maybe these didn't come from Russia. You know, the, the wreckage indicated that they were fired by an S-300 surface-to-air missile system, which is an air defense system, right? It does have a, a ground attack option, um, but, you know, its, its main purpose is to shoot down things from the air, right? And, yeah, it just became pretty clear that these missiles were fired from Ukraine. And yeah. on top of that, I will say, because, you know, these claims came out and then you saw people who tend to believe Russian propaganda say, oh, Ukraine attacked Poland, like, where's, where's your NATO, NATO Article 5, blah, 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 whatever. The S-300, like, it's, a, it's an older Soviet air defense system, and these systems, I mean, they're a little old, and they're already not the best, and the thing with these systems is if they don't hit their target, I mean, sometimes they go completely haywire, right? And we'll just like not even shoot towards their target at all. You guys have probably seen a couple of videos where a Russian system will literally fire a missile and the missile will fly maybe a couple hundred feet in the air and like literally do a 180 and come back and hit the system that fired it from, right? So these kind of go haywire from time to time. It's not uncommon or, you know, maybe it is uncommon, but it does happen. Um, and then other times that they don't hit their target, they just kind of keep going and going. Like there's been instances in Syria where these things have launched. Uh, they've been launched a lot of times at like Israeli jets, you know, every time like Israel does airstrikes in Syria. And if they don't hit the jet, like they just keep flying. They don't drop from the air, you know what I mean? And go inert. Like, no, they keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and interesting you brought up uh israel going into syria that that's something that like i think is interesting because not many people have kind of questioned that in any way shape or form since like they've been doing it um but uh, i don't know what, what like i understand why they do it obviously for counting iranian influence but you know Trying to get into some messy territory with that. But yeah, I, the fact that it actually killed people in Poland is really interesting. Um, that sounded fucked up. Nothing but, you know, uh, respect and love and peace to those killed. But um, it is interesting that it actually managed to just like the timing and placement of that is just like every bad card you could draw put into one hand. And um, something else that I thought was kind of interesting is the fact that multiple U.S. defense intelligence officials were reportedly saying that it came from Russia, like, immediately. And I wonder why 
every, you know, like you said, all the evidence and everything we know now points to a Ukrainian Sam. So why was that pushed out so quickly and who pushed that information? And like, did they have an ulterior motive of trying to like stir the pot or was that just, Hey, sometimes you get shit wrong at work. Yeah. I think, you know, in my opinion, obviously I, I can't say this for a fact, but what we may have seen is an unnamed U.S. official that, you know, probably has some biases, right? With, like all of us do, me and you have bias, whatever. But they, you know, probably thought in their mind, like, hey, there's no way this is not a Russian missile. You know what I mean? Like, this is it. This is it. They just struck Poland and pushed out that claim uh, erroneously. That's That's probably what you saw. And there's really two big issues besides the fact that people were killed there's two other big issues the first being that the associated press got that claim from an unnamed senior intelligence official i'm using air quotes right because they they kind of say that about like all their sources right I'm i'm a little skeptical whenever they put that because it's always unnamed they can never put a name to anything and it's always a senior official What do they even mean by senior? Who knows? But anyway, they they got this information from that unnamed person and pushed the report out, right? And there was uh, some screenshots released. This AP team had like this internal chat and screenshots of this chat were released. And this guy says like, hey, you know, this unnamed intelligence official is telling me these are Russian missiles. And then you see a lot of confusion between these AP employees as to like where they go from here. You know, there's an editor in the group chat asking the reporter like, hey, is this enough to like put out this story or what? And then the reporter's like, well, I can't really make that call. Like that's above my pay grade. And it makes you think like, what? I mean, this editor should be the one that knows to pull the trigger or not. You know what I mean? That's kind of your job. It's not up to a reporter. It's up to the editor. Like, that's why you're the editor. Anyway, the story story ends up getting ran as, hey, an unnamed official saying this is uh, or these were Russian missiles. And then, of course, every everybody loses it. Right. Everybody's like, well, fuck, like this is it. This is it. It's on. Like Russia just killed two people in a NATO country. You know what I mean? And it's, it's this initial AP story that like really set things off, man. Like there, again, there were already people that just assumed it was a Russian missile just because of what was going on at that time. Um, And, you know, biases against Russia, but yeah, this AP report really, really did it, man. And then the second big issue is you have president Zelensky and Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitro Kuleba, like claiming up and down that there's no possible way this could have been a Ukrainian missile, right? And I get them claiming that from the start, but a lot of evidence has been released to the contrary. President Biden has even said like, hey, unfortunately, this was a Ukrainian missile. The president of Poland said the same thing. And those two... Ukrainian government officials like still have yet to retract their statements. The foreign minister even went on Twitter and he was saying that, oh, people are believing this Russian conspiracy theory. And he has not retracted that statement. Like, 
<laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? And the, the thing that gets me with this is, man, like everybody understands this is an accident. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, these kind of freak accidents like happen and they're tragic whenever they do happen. But sometimes like you, you just can't really control it. You know what I mean? I mean, what, what is Ukraine going to do? Just let a missile drop on an apartment complex? No, they have to try and shoot it down. Like that's their obligation. We would do the same thing. But, right. you know, these kind of freak accidents happen, man. And nobody would blame them if they just came out and said, you know what, like, this is a horrible, like, horrible freak accident. Like, we're incredibly sorry. Like, give their condolences to those Polish families. Like, how how can we make this right with you guys? You know what I mean? Um, but they're not doing that. Right. Yeah, I just think that's kind of weird. It's surprising that they're that they're not, and maybe there's maybe they're concerned that if they do, um, aid will be cut off or something if they take responsibility for this. But I think you you, you kind of hit it on the head, man. I don't see how most people are going to be very understanding, given the circumstances. Like they're not going to be there's not going to be aid getting cut off, so. Just not understanding the purpose of them kind of not not accepting that it was their you now obviously not like their fault because they did what they had to do but it was their missile that struck and that's really all there is to it i just don't know why they would they would hide that do you um do you foresee here's a good question do you foresee belarus entering this war in a direct manner yeah so i guess I would say that it is possible, but probably not in the way that a lot of people think. You yeah. know, Russia started deploying dudes to Belarus in recent weeks. Um, and Belarus has, like, really been ramping up rhetoric, like, hey, we're gearing up to start this counterterrorism operation. The president, uh, Lukashenko, he's blaming a lot of things on like poland and other like bordering european nations like hey you guys are terrorists you guys are like supporting terrorists blah 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 all that stuff i i could see a future where belarus directly gets involved in the war and the way i see that happening is this joint belarusian russian force kind of launching probe attacks here and there into mm. northern ukraine probably probably to the west of the capital right so maybe a little bit closer to uh Lviv or Lever, however you pronounce it that that city that's closer to Poland so western Ukraine um that that I could possibly see happening right I think a lot of people what they think would happen is this like joint force makes a second push on Kiev and that I do not see happening just because they don't have enough guys. They don't have the logistics. The cold weather doesn't help either. And yeah, that would just kind of be a fool's errand. Like Belarus's military is, is definitely not the greatest. Um, yeah, I mean, they're kind of a clown show, even, even compared to Russia's military. They're just a bunch of goobers. So I, don't, I don't really see them being able to accomplish 
much in the way of like a, a legitimate like ground offensive again the only thing i could see is like probing attacks but that the purpose of that would be to tie up as much ukrainian forces in that area as possible to keep them from deploying to the south and especially to keep them deploying to uh the east in donetsk yeah no that's a good point they, they really do have a very small military and their capabilities are very limited um what i would like to know is because I, I definitely agree with you i i do not think that for the most part i i don't see them making a push but what i do think is interesting is why like if they're not going to push why is there still relocation of russian troops happening to belarus um they keep sending russian troops back there and if they're not planning on jumping off of that point why would they not be pushing them somewhere else you know what i mean yeah, I guess the the only reason I could see why they're doing that is, again, like trying to tie up as much Ukrainian forces as possible, just kind of keep them paranoid that mm. there's going to be actions coming across the border. I mean, that would that would make sense to me. You know what I mean? My only question is, and of course, like this is something like that would be incredibly difficult to uh to prove or see the evidence of but my question would be like how effective is that like how how much ukrainian forces are they actually tying up in that area if any yeah i don't know um what yeah do you think so do you think when we're talking about the, the, the opening days of the war do you think russia's initial intent really was to capture this uh the capital I do. Yeah. Um, there's, there's been people that have theorized typically people that I guess are, are more pro Russia in this, in this whole thing. Um, kind of theorize that, Oh, you know, it was, it was a feint, right. They drew all this attention towards the capital basically. So they could take the South and take the East. Mm. And that that would be more believable for me if Russia didn't use like some of their best forces to take Kiev and they took right. a lot of casualties doing it and they probably stayed there longer than they should have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, they used a good amount of their VDV guys. For those of you guys who don't know the VDV, that's Russia's airborne forces. They are a separate branch of the military. They do, maybe this is a lame comparison, but they, they are kind of Russia's uh, 911 contingency force. You know what I mean? If, if they had one, it, it would be the VDV. These guys are considered Russia's elite, right? And they're usually the spearhead for these sorts of military actions. So the fact that they use so many of these guys trying to take Kiev like that in itself kind of tells me, no, they really did mean to take the capital. And then you think about dudes who were like captured or killed and left behind and 
like Ukrainian troops are going through like their packs and their equipment and they're finding like dress uniforms and stuff like that. Like it almost seemed like they planned doing parades in the capital city. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to me, it to me, it seems like they, they actually did try and take the city and it was just like horribly, horribly executed. Yeah. I mean, they got pretty fucked up trying to take it too. Um, you know, uh, you know. Again, not trying to like sound pro-Russian, but I, I will give the VDV that that they did accomplish um, some incredible feats at the opening days of the war and held out for a good while. Um, I would hate to be a fucking Russian paratrooper in this lifetime. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. There's, there's like some memes from what happened at Hostomel Airport. And they're like, honestly, they're hilarious. But I think a lot of people like don't actually have a good idea of what happened. And Croatoan like made a post about this a few days ago, dude. And man, he, he got it in the comments, dude. Like he pissed so many people off. But I think he was right because I talked to him the day after that. And I agreed with his perspective that like they they did what they were sent to do even though these guys like didn't even know they were invading ukraine until they were basically dropping over the the airport yeah they you know the leadership had not really prepared them they thought they were doing an exercise in crimea at least that's according to dudes who were captured after the fact but i mean they did drop into the airport and initially they took it right they did what they were there to do but the issue is they weren't really supplied well. I mean, these guys had 90 rounds to them a piece. It's not a lot. You know what I mean? Didn't have a lot of armor, um, didn't have a lot of food, water. And I mean, I guess if you understand the nature of that operation, they do need more ammo, obviously, right? Like 90 rounds, that's fucking nothing. But it, it makes sense why they weren't supplied as much as like a line infantry unit would be just due to the nature of the mission the issue is they were not relieved at the airport right in my opinion what russia was banking on is that massive column or columns would come down from belarus push through chernobyl which they did do and then basically make it all the way to hostile airport and link up with the vdv there that's what i think personally they were banking on i could be wrong but obviously that did not happen. The VDV waited and, you know, that relief did not come. So the Ukrainian National Guard pushed into the airport and pushed the VDV out. That's, in my opinion, what happened. Yeah, which is pretty pretty rough. I mean, there's also other, like, unconfirmed, you know, incidents that took place. But no matter no matter which which uh, actual battle you're talking about, the Russian VDV have had a rough go of this war, and they've been handed a short short stick. Oh, they have. They've taken you know an incredible amount of casualties, man, and that's that's an issue for Russia because again, these are these are their elite guys. Like this is Russia's go to. They use them a lot in Syria. They use them a lot with those protests that happened in January in Kazakhstan, like the VDV spearheaded that entire response. Like right. the VDV, if Russia has a capable 
conventional force like it is the vdv you know what i mean and the more casualties they take in that force like that that's just not good because it's difficult to replace those guys you know a lot of whom are contract soldiers it's not easy to replace them with conscripts or these these mobilized dudes um but yeah man they've they've taken a lot of casualties they've been hit like pretty hard they were sent to the east like kharkiv after after they pulled out of kiev a lot of those dudes were sent to kharkiv they took pretty hard casualties there and then a lot of them after that were sent to Kherson to kind of form this like defensive line for the upcoming Ukrainian counteroffensive. So they've just, they've been in it nonstop. Yeah. And the a rough part about that is that those first two engagements, uh, sorry, engagements at, um, you know, just North of Kiev and then Kharkiv, they both lost those. So you're talking about dudes that have like potentially been rotated through two previous campaigns that they lost and potentially on a third that they've lost. Um, That's fucking rough for morale. I'm talking about morale. Like how many of these guys have got, how many of their bros have gotten just absolutely waxed and how many places have they seen where they fought for and then pulled out of, and then Ukraine came in and took it. Um, Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to be a Russian VDV paratrooper in this fucking lifetime. I can tell you that much. Yeah, no way, man. And you're you're perfectly right about morale. I mean, how much of these guys dealt with for again the past nine months for for what? For nothing. They they lost in Kiev, they lost in Kharkiv, they lost in Kherson. Like yeah. yeah. You know but, what I mean? I mean their their friends are dying for what? For what? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that statement hits different, you know? And um, I don't know. Like I said, I think, I think we might start seeing, maybe this is just hopeful, but I think we might start seeing some more domestic issues in Russia because uh, I'm not sure how long like their military is going to withstand this kind of treatment. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess, uh, aside from protests and riots, there wasn't that much domestic issues during like the Vietnam War. Um, but you know. We've already seen some action, some incidents here in Russia or there in Russia. So we'll see, man. We've um, this war has come a long way since it began. Ukraine has retaken a lot of ground. There's been a lot of casualties on on both sides. There's been a lot of propaganda on both sides. And with winter coming in, I think the troops are digging into the trenches, which are probably going to be that way for maybe maybe winter uh pretty solidified kind of um i don't know man i'm not gonna i I just don't think we're gonna see a lot of movement and uh but we have come along this war certainly has come a long way since it began and i wish you know i wish the ukrainians luck i really do that may not sound like anything but 
I wish them luck with the shit they're fucking dealing with right now. And some of the shit they're able to pull off too is also pretty impressive. Um, I tell you what, like we haven't given them a lot of weapons and gear, um, but they're still, they're still kicking ass like them alone with that fighting spirit. So I gave it to him, man, and we'll see how this war evolves going forward. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of round it out, um, Ukraine's big theme, especially from like, you know, their foreign policy administration, their big theme is give us the weapons and like, and we'll do the work. You know yep. what I mean? If you give us weapons, like we'll, we'll work wonders. And they've proven that, you know what I mean? They've pulled off some like spectacular feats throughout this war that that nobody could have thought they would have pulled off um they have shown that they are a very capable force if you give them the equipment like they they'll come through you know what i mean they're not all talk um and with that being said like just to go back to where we began this podcast like winter is coming it'll be interesting to see what happens the next few months um but even more interesting to see what happens come spring. Yep. When the spring comes, like it's it's on all over again. Yep. Yeah, it'll, I mean, it, man, when that one year anniversary uh, comes around, that's gonna be wild, man. Uh, I remember when this. I remember the day this this first uh, took off, and. Uh, just to kind of like this will become like my my finishing note is social media has changed the way we see war and that is truly um spectacular but also horrifying in the same manner and you know we watched it, the war the initial shots fired were were broken and on social media way before mainstream picked it up hours before um i don't even know i don't know if you remember but there were people that even knew like the rumor mill was already going around that it was going to happen at 4 a.m their time which was like 9 p.m my time and uh sure as shit (laughs) that rumor was true and you know the first i remember that first image coming out of the border guard uh running away and that was like the last known image from the camera. And uh, it's like five minutes after that, man, and all those telegram channels and all the different OSINT platforms, here comes a million footage of every city being hit. And that was a wild time. And to see that, to see a literal invasion unfolding on social media before anyone else saw it, before it was broadcasted anywhere else, was pretty fucking wild yeah man i do i do remember that night that was crazy and i remember a lot of people thought it was going to happen because putin you know was going to give that speech right it was like a pre-recorded speech but it was a speech he gave declaring the the special military operation quote unquote right and it's like hey the speech is going to be given at this time blah 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 whatever and it was I think it was probably like five o'clock my time. And I remember like watching that speech, like it was being translated into English. And then in the middle of that speech, that's when 
um, that picture came out of the border guard like running away from his post and it's like holy shit like this is this is the first image of the invasion you know what I mean and as soon as that speech is over like the Russian like strategic bombing net um, their communications like started going crazy and it was like yeah missiles inbound like all these air raid sirens are going off like that was insane. I was like schizo posting on Twitter like that entire night, dude. Just like <laughs> yeah. losing my mind, dude. My roommate like went out to get food. He got like Chinese food and he like put it on my disc. He's like, here you go, man. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. But I didn't touch it for like hours. You know what I mean? I was just losing my mind on my computer. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to keep up, man. And um, the, the fucking footage that came out during that time, like just every other every other second there's like a new video and trying to like track it trying to geolocate everything and understand a bigger picture man just makes me feel bad for the people of that country you know who've just been in a, in a way like we've never been closer to the war but we've also never been further away and um i wonder i truthfully wonder like what what these people think when they when they see their war and their suffering kind of broadcast into the world um obviously not for entertainment but you know just having that's something we we as americans just really haven't had to deal with in a while is having spectators you know and, and what's the what what is that like just living in a country constantly being shelled but knowing there's a bunch of spectators watching yeah and i guess my closing note would be that this war is not going to end anytime soon. And what, what that means with it is a, a lot more people are going to suffer, you know, particularly civilians, a, a lot more people are going to die or they're going to suffer life altering injuries and, and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, there'll be food shortages, hopefully not, but it's possible. And, you know, they'll, they'll just suffer in many other ways. And my point in saying that is there are plenty of, humanitarian organizations you guys can donate to like a quick google search will find them you know what i mean do do your research to see if they're actually like giving money to to what they claim they are yeah. right but um yeah if you guys feel so inclined many more people are, are going to suffer in in the coming months this war is not going to end anytime soon so if you you know feel it in your heart to you know donate um to a good cause, then I'd implore you to do that. Especially yep. with Christmas around the corner, you know, it's a season to give. Yeah. And uh, certainly a season to be grateful. You know, um, we got a lot of things going on here at home, but uh, we're still doing a lot better than a lot of people, like you said. And most of us aren't going to have to worry about freezing our ass off. So, yeah, absolutely. Take that for what it's worth. Well, man, it was it was great having you on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, dude. We crushed it for like two hours. Um, we, could, we could probably keep going, but uh, we have re- probably a good stopping point. But it's been an absolute pleasure, dude. Um, let's try to do this again in the future if we can. Maybe we can get with uh, the other Lethal Minds guys, do like a do a big group collab. That might get a little crazy, but uh, that'd be something cool to <laughs> consider. Yeah, we actually, we absolutely need to do that at some point. Um, and I, I'd love to have you on again. Uh, 
as well, you know, at some point in the future, just, just us. It was great having you on. I'm really glad we got to do this. You know, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to it in the future. Yes, sir. I'll catch you later. All right. Thank you guys for listening to that last episode of the podcast. It was great having Northern Provisions on. And like I said a couple times, it was a long time coming. I really enjoyed recording that podcast with him. And we're both hoping to uh, get on some more podcasts together and and push out um, some new things for you guys in the coming weeks and coming months, um, different, different formats of podcasts and all that kind of stuff, some exciting stuff going on that we have planned. So hopefully we can... Uh, you know, formulate those plans and get those out to you guys soon. But of course, your support means a lot to me. And you could find this podcast on your favorite apps that include Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Cast, uh, Radio Public, anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That's all one word. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate or at ko-fi slash analyze educate. And that is all I have for you guys. We'll see you around.